0: thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from pleasant hill baptist church in somerset kentucky please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com we're in first peter four today and we're going to talk about being ready for the return of jesus christ i don't know about you perhaps when you were a kid you got to read one of those choose your own adventure books Uh, The basic idea is that you, the reader, are reading an interactive book, and at certain points along the story, you can choose the the outcome. You can choose different outcomes, and it directs you to turn to this page or that page, and you read the next part of the story. Now, the risk is you don't always get that happy, you know, ever-after ending that you want, But as you navigate the the maze of the story by making a choice, you learn that decisions have consequences. You know, the idea of the Choose Your Own Adventure books originated with a guy named Edward Packard. He was a lawyer in Manhattan and he gave up his law practice to write full time. He got the idea uh, when he was reading bedtime stories to his kids in 1969. Um, he got stumped one time on how to end a story that they liked for him to tell. So he asked his nine-year-old and five-year-old daughters what they would do. And each one came up with a different outcome. And thus, that was the, the idea for an interactive book where you choose your own adventure. Well, today, we're, not, we're going to look at how you and I can be ready for the return of Christ. And unlike an interactive book, we can't change the end of the story But we can choose how we're going to respond and be ready when he returns. And that's what I want you to see today. In 1 Peter 4, there in verse 7, Peter says, The end of all things is near. We'll stop there. The end of all things is near. In the original language, all things is emphasized at the very beginning of the verse. So all things are coming to an end. It's not the idea of cessation, but culmination or consummation. In other words, this term end, it is pointing to the idea of fulfillment, of completion, of achievement, of culmination, of consummation. It's the idea that something's about to be obtained or fulfilled. A goal is about to be reached. And here we're referring to the return of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's almost time. Now think about it. We are in the last days. How do I know that? Because Peter, when he um, was full of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, ten days after Jesus ascended to heaven, he got up and he boldly spoke from Joel chapter 2, Joel the prophet, where he said, in the last days... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he proclaims that and he says this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. The last days started when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came ten days later. And we are living in the last days until the last day, whenever that is, when Jesus comes back. That will obviously be the last day, and so think about it for a moment. Think how the story of Christ has culminated in the Bible. Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. He lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death on the cross he He took our place he He took the punishment that you and I deserved. He was buried in a tomb. He actually died. There are people out there that die that, but he actually died. He rose from the dead on the third day and he ascended to heaven 40 days later because after he rose again, he appeared okay, to many and then he ascended to heaven. He sat at the right hand of the Father and now he is waiting for his return. Indeed, the end of all things is near. Now, I don't know about you, but... It's interesting, interesting to me how culture even anticipates this. They, they may not realize this, but culture does. Did you know that there is a list of over 350 apocalyptic movies that have been made about the end of the world? They either deal with a prelude to the end or the end or the post uh, setting of it. The first film was entitled The End of the World, in 1916, if you know your history, that would have been during World War One. that the first film came out, The End of the World. But did you know, out of the 350 films that have been made since then, that 199 of them have been made since the year 2000? Let that sink in. For the past 22 years, one shy of 200 films have been made in Hollywood, in our culture. Indeed, maybe God's even using the culture and society to say, are you ready? Because He is coming back. I want you to realize that history truly is His story. And this world is moving toward a goal. And one day Jesus will come and He will judge the wicked, He'll reward the righteous, and He will reign forever. Now, here's the thing, even though we have all these films in the culture about the end of the world, when we see a movie like that on the big screen or on the TV, we tend to put it in the fiction category. Oh, it's nice, it's creative, it's, it's, it's captivating, but we kind of put it in the fiction category. And the, the, the risk here is we consider it merely entertainment. And so the sad part is when we actually hear a message from the Word of God about how Jesus is coming back and one day He will you know, judge and He will reward and He will rule and reign, we kind of just push it to the periphery of our minds. We don't really think about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, someday, you know, and we kind of rationalize it. And it doesn't help that through the years there have been people that have made predictions about when Jesus is coming back. I remember one guy who wrote a book years ago, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. And then when it didn't happen, he went, oh, I forgot one. 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1989. Uh, But anyway, obviously he was wrong. And here's the thing, the Bible tells us, no man knows the day or the hour. Uh, You know, Matthew 24, it says... The words of Jesus, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. So Jesus is saying, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. And when He says go, that's when it's going to go. Matthew 25 says, Therefore be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. So you and I truly do need to be ready. Peter, in his second letter, said this in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, why does he say that? Well, Jesus said those same words. Paul says those words. Others said that Peter says those same words in Scripture. What does that mean? A thief comes when you're not expecting it. A thief comes, and when he comes, he succeeds because you're not expecting it and you're not prepared. And so, when, it, when we look at the big picture, when Jesus comes, a lot of people aren't going to be ready. But my prayer today for you is that you will be ready. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. James, the Lord's brother, who wrote an epistle in the New Testament, in James 5, 9, he says, look, the judge stands at the door. Well, if the judge stands at the door, and that was 2,000 years ago, I would say he's already got his hand on the knob, and he's about to turn the knob and open it. We are close. How close are we? The best way I would say it is the way Paul said it in Romans 13, 11. He says, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. When is Jesus coming back? I don't know, but we're closer now than we've ever been. Think about that. We're closer now than we've ever been, and that is absolutely true. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, if a person really believes in eternity, then he'll make the best use of time. If we're convinced that Jesus is coming, then we will want to live prepared lives. Whether Jesus comes first or death comes first, we want to make the rest of our time count for eternity. That's true. You know, we don't know when the Lord's going to come back. We also don't know when we're going to die. And yes, people die young just like they die old. That's why you and I have always got to be ready. We don't know when He'll come. We don't know when our time is up. And we need to live our lives being ready. So the question today is this. How can you and I be ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Peter's going to give us four things that we need to put into our lives, put into practice so that we are ready for the Lord's return. There in 1 Peter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, in light of that, here's what we should do. Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. The first thing you and I can do to be ready for the return of Christ is pray. And I don't mean just a single time, not a one-time check-the-box time, but we need to develop an attitude of prayer. We need to practice the presence of God daily by remaining in a position and a, a practice of prayer. You and I can walk with Him and talk with Him throughout the day. We can commune with Him. We can experience that connection all day long, day after day. But we must pray. You know, as I was thinking about this this week, I began to see contrasts between Jesus modeling these things for us and Peter having to learn them the hard way. For instance, if you remember Jesus, the uh, night that He was betrayed and ultimately arrested and ultimately crucified on the cross, He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and He took His disciples with Him and then He took His inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and he said, "Come over here." And they went a little bit further with Jesus. And he said, "I need you to watch and pray for one hour. I need you to watch and pray for one hour. I need you to pray with me for one hour." And they observed Jesus. He went a little farther. He he got down on his knees. He prayed, and you you've heard him uh, the the prayer. It's in Scripture. Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed it three times. And when he came back, guess what? Peter, James, and John were what? They were asleep. They were asleep. And so here, when Peter says, look, the end of all things is near. I think he's thinking about the night that Jesus was, was betrayed with a kiss by judas iscariot and he was arrested by the mob and he was ultimately crucified and died on that cross he didn't realize how fast things were going to go down how quick things were going to end and he was told to pray and yet he wasn't alert he wasn't sober-minded and he began to sleep when he should have been praying if anybody knows from personal experience it's peter And he's saying, look, you and I need to be ready. We need to be prepared for whenever Jesus comes back. And the best way we can do that is to pray. But notice there's a qualification, be alert and be sober-minded for prayer. It reminds me of what Jesus told them in the gospel in Matthew 24, uh, verse 42. Jesus said, therefore, be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Be alert. In chapter 26, 41 of Matthew, he says, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you look at this alert and sober minded, um, you know, he's talking about being uh, sane and sober. You know, we need to be in the right frame of mind. We need to be alert. We need to be attentive. We don't need to panic. Sometimes people panic. When something's about to go down, they, the, it stirs the the fear and the anxiety in them, and they begin to worry. And shoulda, coulda, woulda, and all these scripts play out in their mind, and they begin to panic. It's hard to pray when you're in a state of panic, right? We got to get our mind in the right place. Don't panic, and don't be distracted. Don't don't just kind of oh, it's I've got plenty of time. Uh, don't do those things. Be devoted to prayer. Why? Because the time is. Near. If you and I knew that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow, how would we live differently today and even tonight? It would change our attitude, it would change our approach. Well, you and I need to be instructed to say, look, because the end is near, we need to be alert. We need to be sober minded so that we can pray. But there's a second thing you and I can do to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And that is to love one another. There in the very next verse, uh, verse 8, he says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. That's a quote from Proverbs 10, verse 12. Uh, Maintain constant love for one another. You know, when you love, you don't ever quit. You don't ever stop. You don't say, well, I loved you yesterday. Isn't that enough? Doesn't work like that, does it? Um, we, we, it's ongoing. Maintain love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Remember when Jesus had to correct the disciples? They were arguing about who was the greatest. Remember when James and John sent their mom to Jesus, said, I want to ask you for a favor. I want you to put one son on your left and one on the right. And he says, you don't even know what you're asking. And then when the disciples uh, find out about it, they're livid. Part, I bet partly they're like, why didn't I think of that? But anyway, they, they're livid. They're, they're so angry that uh, they dare even seek that because they begin to argue about who was the greatest when we know the answer is clearly Jesus is the greatest. You know, a story is told of three bulls that were good friends and they were always together. There was a lion that wanted to kill them for meat, but the lion knew he had no chance of defeating them because they were always together. So the lion devised a clever plan. He made friends with one of the bulls, and he told him that the other two bulls were saying evil things about him behind his back. Well, the bull believed the lion... And he refused to talk to the other two bulls. The lion did the same thing with the other two bulls. Because they didn't want to talk to each other anymore, the three bulls began to separate and go each their own way. And now they're no match for the lion. You know, in the same way Satan knows that Christians are weak when we don't stick together. He knows that we're weak when we go our own way. And whenever there's disagreement... He likes to take advantage of that. He likes to disrupt fellowship in order to defeat us and divide us. But, oh, we don't need to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. We need to realize we're called to love one another. And we have to keep on loving one another. And how do we keep on loving one another? We forgive. See, loving is the positive part. And forgiveness is the negative part. You can say, I love you one day and the next you don't, but how do you keep loving day after day after day? Love is also forgiveness. That's why he says love covers a multitude of sins. You and I need to love one another. You know, maybe today you need to pray and ask God, is there someone I need to call? Is there someone I need to talk to? And make things right before Christ comes back. How can we get ready for the return of Christ? We need to pray. We need to love one another. And number three, show hospitality. Now, we don't really think of this one. And there's I'm surprised by how much uh, is in the scriptures about hospitality. Now, to get this right, we kind of have to go back and look at what's this concept in Scripture. It really, it literally means love of strangers. And if you go back to Bible times, before there was Hilton Hotels and Holiday Inn Express and Hampton Inn, and I don't want to be a commercial, but you get the idea. Before we had all these hotel and motel chains, uh, back in Bible times when people would travel, they depended on hospitality. It's not like you could go from one community to another and just look for a hotel. There weren't many of them. And they depended on hospitality. They would find someone and go to their home and spend the night and that person would take care of their needs to be a lover of strangers. And here Peter is saying, be hospitable, verse 9, to one another without complaining. That's hard, isn't it? Holidays are coming up. You're either going to go see family or you're going to have family. The first day's good, isn't it? The second day's all right. The third day, when are they leaving? And that's family. We're not even talking about strangers. Think about it. That's how we are. One day's good. Two days is all right. Third day, we're, we're ready to get this thing done. And so he says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Again, I'm reminded of Peter and Jesus. As Jesus' earthly ministry was coming to an end, if you remember you know the night that he was betrayed, if you back up and rewind the tape just a little bit, he wanted to observe the Passover meal for the last time with his disciples. He told a couple of his disciples, go and make preparations. And they found an upper room. And then when they all got there at the appointed time, here was this beautiful space all ready to go for them, but there wasn't a servant. There was no one there to attend to their needs. And when they got there, because it was the custom of the day, uh, the first thing you would do is have a servant to wash people's feet, and then they would take their place. But there's no one there for that. So they all get there at the appointed time, and what happens? What happens? These disciples that have been arguing about who's the greatest. They look around. Nobody's there to wash their feet. They're not going to wash feet. They just stand there. Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He takes a towel. And he takes a basin. And he says, I know you don't understand what I'm doing right now. But you will. And then he began to wash their feet. And Peter... Peter, of all people, said, well, Lord, if, uh, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my head and hands as well. I mean, Peter always went all in, right? If you're going to wash me, just wash the whole thing. And he's like, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you, but not all of you. And he was referring to Judas Iscariot. And so Jesus said, what I'm doing is an example for you. In other words, he was modeling what it means to serve One another. You know, Arnold Glasso once said, I don't know who that guy is, but he he said this and it, it resonates. Some folks make you feel at home and others make you wish you were. Isn't that true? Think about that. Some folks make you feel at home and others make you wish you were. That's the difference between hospitality. Those that have it, and those that don't. Those that practice it, and those that don't. You know, through the years, being a pastor, you hear all kinds of stories. Here's one. A man and his family were on vacation one summer, and they decided to go to this prominent church in the area. Apparently, the church had quite a reputation for their preaching and their worship, and so they couldn't wait to go. Well, according to the family, the reputation held up, According to standards, the, the sermon and the music both were great. Uh, that didn't disappoint them, but the lack of hospitality did. As they said, from the moment they arrived at the church to the time they left, no one spoke to them except for the pastor. No one directed them to the nursery. They had to find it themselves. No one invited them to a, a coffee Uh, afterwards to meet different people in the church. They had to find it themselves. No one came up to them and introduced them. Hey, how are you? As the man said in his own words, he says, we felt as though we were invisible. No one noticed we were even there. He said, I don't care how good the preaching and music were. Nothing could have made up for the lack of hospitality. He said that church was cold and lifeless like a corpse. May that not be said of us. We want to be able to demonstrate hospitality. We want to love others. We want to serve others. If we see something that needs to be done, we spring into action. Instead of being like the disciples who saw a need but refused to get their hands dirty to do it, Jesus took up the towel and grabbed the basin, and he served his disciples. How can you and I be ready for the return of Jesus? We can pray, we can love one another, we can show hospitality, and number four, we can use our gifts to serve others. Oh, I love this part. In verse 10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And if you study in the New Testament, there's different passages that talk about spiritual gifts. My favorite one is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, where Paul talks extensively about spiritual gifts, and he leads off with this statement in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be unaware. And if there's one thing I could say about this particular topic is, I don't want you to be unaware. In other words, here's what I want you to realize. When you come to Jesus Christ and you receive Him into your life and you experience salvation, He's now your Lord and Savior. And now you know the Lord. And you receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life at the moment you believe, you receive a spiritual gift from God. And it's determined by the Holy Spirit. You can't get out of catalog and say, Lord, I'd like to do that. It doesn't work that way. Okay, He's the one that determines the gift you're going to get. And the gift that He gives you, is a major clue as to how He wants you to serve Him, where you function in the body of Christ. Not all can preach or teach, not all can sing, not all can do this, that, or the other, but everybody can do something. And even if you don't think you're good at anything, I want to tell you, I promise you on the authority of God's Word that He has given you a gift. All you've got to do is ask God to show you what it is. Now, many churches do this, and, and, and I have done this. You can go online. You can Google spiritual gifts test. And there's a lot of them out there. There's some good, there's some not so good, and that's okay. But there's all kinds of spiritual gift tests out there, and you can take one, and I like them. They're kind of fun to do. But at the end of the day, they've got a big limitation. What's the limitation? It's a self-assessment. You you are basically evaluating yourself. And uh, here's what I want to say. The Bible teaches that our spiritual gift is not for us. It's for others. Okay? It's not a toy to play with. It's a tool to use to build up the body of Christ. And so if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, Number one, you need to pray, pray and ask God to show you what it is. Number two, you need to read everything in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. And if you Google spiritual gifts Bible verses, you'll find all the passages, you can read them, and go, oh, I didn't know that, I didn't know that. Oh, there's more gifts out there than I ever thought. That's true, they are. But once you begin to pray and ask God, show me what my gift is, you begin to read the Scripture, uh, what it teaches about spiritual gift. the next thing you probably should do, is talk to somebody that knows you. Talk to somebody that, that loves you, okay? Uh, talk to someone that uh, preferably is a fellow believer. They understand where you're coming from, that you love God and you want to serve God. And just ask them this question. Just simply say, hey, I've been praying about spiritual gifts, I've been reading what this Bible says about them, and I have no clue what mine is. But I just want to know, you know, since the Bible says that our gift is to be used to serve others, do you see God at work in my life in a way that blesses other people? Because I just don't see it. You know, many times, whatever we do, we do because it just kind of, it's in us to do it. it, it it's, it's an expression of who we are. And we just think that everybody can do what we do because we just naturally do that. And I want to tell you, not everybody does that, Okay. And so find out uh, what other people say when they see God at work in your life. Well, when, when, God's, when they see God working in your life in a way that honors Him and blesses other people, that is a clue that that's how God has gifted you uh, to function in the body of Christ. And here's the most important thing I can tell you. Once you discover your gift, in the words of John Maxwell, he says this, when you find your spiritual gift, God will give you an opportunity to use it. And that's true. Don't sit on it. Don't stay on the sidelines. Do something about it. When I read the New Testament, whenever it talks about spiritual gifts, it's always empowering people to use it. Don't don't start talking, well, I've took 30 tests and one says this and one says that. Don't analyze it don't don 't be proud that you can say i'm this but I 'm not going to do anything don't ask me no once you discover your gift, use it use it it's not for you it's for others and it's the way God wants to work through you to be a blessing to others and when you begin to um, when you begin to use that, that gift for God, you see God not only working in you but you see God working through you and I'm going to tell you when you experience God working through you there's no Better way to live. Oh man, well, look what he says on this. Just like I told you, everywhere I read in scripture about spiritual gifts, it's about mobilizing people to serve, it's about empowering them to use their gift. What does Peter say in the very next breath? In verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words, and if anyone serves, Let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and everything to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Peter has sort of a simplified way of looking at things. Many people have took this... uh, this construct that Peter has where he says, you know, if you're speaking, then speak God's words. And if you are serving, then serve with the strength God provides. And and many people have took all the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament and basically said all of these deal with speaking in some form or fashion, teaching, uh, prophesying, yada, 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 all these things. And then all these others deal with serving in some form or fashion or capacity. And what Peter is saying, wherever you lean in the spectrum of spiritual gifts, do what God wants you to do. Use the gift He's given you with the strength and the grace He's given you and do it for Him. Do it for Him. For Him. He he is the one that gets all the glory. Uh, He's the one that has given us this gift and we're doing it in service to Him. Well... Let's kind of look at what we've said today. I want to process this before we wrap it up. So the end of all things is near. We're closer now to the coming of Christ than we've ever been. And you and I need to be ready. We need to pray. We need to keep on loving. We need to show hospitality. We need to use our gift to serve other people. Can you imagine what a church would look like? If everybody was praying, if they maintained an attitude of prayer moment by moment, day by day, week after week. Can you imagine what it would look like in a church where people are not only praying, but they love each other, not just when it's convenient, but they love each other today, tomorrow, and next week. And, you know, it's, it's fun to love when it's easy. It's not fun to love when it's hard, right? But we find a way to keep on loving one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Imagine what it would look like if a church has everyone praying and everyone loving each other and there's hospitality going on. Somebody walks in and, and they're a stranger, but they don't feel like a stranger. They meet people that they felt like they've known all their life. They're, they're welcomed open arms. They're, they're shown love. They're shown kindness. Is there anything we can do to serve you? How can we help you? And they feel welcome. Because they're loved from the minute they walk in the door. Imagine a church where everyone prays and everyone loves each other. And there's hospitality going on. And people are using their gifts. People are using their gifts. You could come to church every time the doors are open. And still not be satisfied if you're not serving. Did you hear that? You can come every time the doors are open and you can still not be satisfied if you're not serving. You know, we are meant to be a channel. When God works in our life, He works in our life so that He can work through our lives. If you want to know the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee is a conduit. The water comes through and it keeps on flowing and it keeps on going. The Dead Sea, once the water gets there, it stops and it stays and it gets stagnant and nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Thus they call it the Dead Sea. You and I need to make sure that we're serving others. There's no other way to live. I fear that many times... The way we've done church all our lives is we measure church by commitment. And if people are here every time the doors are open, we feel good. But are they praying? Are they loving? Are they showing hospitality? Are they serving others? You and I need to serve. God didn't call us to sit on the sideline. He called us to serve. And when we as a church pray and love each other and have hospitality going on and we use our gifts to serve others, that's a church that glorifies God. Think about that. There it is. There's your playbook. Here is a simple playbook of four things, very simple, that you and I need to put into practice in our lives. And if we put these four things into practice... And we keep doing them, I believe we'll be ready when Christ comes back. And I don't know about you, but I want to be found ready when He comes. Won't you stand for a moment? Musicians are going to come. We're going to have a time of imitation. And I want to ask you this morning. You know, I talked a little bit about spiritual gifts. But there's one gift that everyone needs that comes before any of that, and that is the gift of salvation. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to realize that God loves you. God loves you. And he sent his son into this world. He lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death, the one that you and I deserve. He took the punishment of our sins upon himself. He paid salvation with his own life and his own blood, and now he offers salvation and forgiveness to anyone who's willing to come to him. You know, I I love Christmas time, and I know y'all do too. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, my daughter and I have been listening to Christmas music for two weeks. And quite frankly, it's great. Who listens to Christmas music after Christmas? Not many people. So you just listen a little bit earlier and a little bit earlier. It's great. You should try it. But today we're going to have an invitational hymn. And I believe it's a Christmas hymn. I like it. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Have you received Christ into your life? Have you ever had that moment where you you... You turn from your sin and you came to the realization, God, I need you in my life. And you turn from what you were doing and say, God, I want to trust and follow you. Lord, here I am. Take my life. Lord, I I believe Jesus Christ loves me. I believe he lived and he died and he rose again. And I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe you're the son of God and I believe you'll save me. And you know what? He won't turn you away if you humbly come to him. I want to model a prayer for you this morning. Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to speak to each and every person in this room. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today they would come to you and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know you're the Savior and I'm asking you to come and save me and change me. And Lord, I want to trust and follow you for the rest of my life. You know, that is not a magic bullet prayer. But it simply reflects the attitude that you and I need to have when we come before God and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Maybe if you've never prayed that prayer today, maybe God's calling you. Maybe he's knocking on your heart's door. Will you let him in before it's too late? I want to encourage you to do that. We're fixing to sing. And I want you to just simply worship one last time our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if God is speaking your heart, you will ask Him to come in. And then tell somebody, come to me. I would love to celebrate it. Danny would love to celebrate it. Devin would love to celebrate it. And the next step is water baptism. It's how you go public with your faith. But I ask you to simply do what God is asking you to do as we sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.